The following may contain offensive language, adult humor, and or content that some viewers may find offensive. The views and opinions expressed by any one speaker does not explicitly or necessarily reflect or represent those of Mark Rattledge or W2M Network. Please listen with caution, or don't listen at all. TV party tonight! TV party tonight! Oh, we got nothing better to do than watch TV and have a couple of brews. Don't want to talk about anything else. We don't want to know. We're dedicated to our favorite shows. All my tickets. Everybody loves hip photos. Gary Dawg. Dancing at Blurred Ball. Futurama. Hello, everyone, and welcome to TV Party Tonight. I am your host, Alexis Haina, and tonight, today, whenever you're listening, we are going to be delving into a very controversial show that came to us through Netflix, Dahmer Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. This was given, brought to us by Ryan Murphy, uh, who, if that name sounds familiar, this is the guy who also gave us American Horror Story, American Crime Story, among several other series. Brought to you by the folks at Netflix, Prospect Films, and Ryan Murphy Productions. Joining me is Mark Radelich, sh- showcasing... Okay, y- you have to tell the story with your shirt. Just, just, just please. Okay, so... Working backwards, I am wearing a shirt that says "Say Perhaps to Drugs" because I'm funny. Um, <laughs> so a little ways back, I got tickets to go see Guar with some friends of mine here in Orlando, Florida. That show was this past Wednesday. If you don't know anything about Guar, they are a interdimensional psychotic death metal band from beyond the nether regions. But more importantly than all that, they come to their shows dressed in you know their armor and regalia. And they spray bodily fluids into the crowd. There's usually uh, a bunch of inflatable uh, genitalia lining the <laughs> lining the stage. There's all kinds of hypersexualized paraphernalia. Um, like I said, and they they spray blood. They spray. They spray. <laughs> they, the spray. <laughs> they spray. They spray. They spray. They spray. All of it. Um, this blue liquid all over the place. And so, if you're going to a guar show. You're going to be on the floor anywhere near the stage and you really want that experience. You're, you're going to get hit with this liquid. And the best way to showcase getting hit with the liquid is wear a white T-shirt. I don't own a lot of white, you know, being a bigger guy for most of my life I tend to wear a lot of darker colors. But I so I had to go out and like buy white clothing for this show. And I didn't want to just buy a white T-shirt and look like, you know, a reject from an Eminem video. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like I'm looking at like white T-shirts I can buy. And I see them when they say, say perhaps to drugs. I'm like, well, this this fits because they say that one of the things that inspires their act is crack. So I was like, perfect. And uh, I was on I was in the pit as I, you know, even at almost 50 years old, I'll still get in the mosh pit and bounce around. Uh, I was right there is, you know, not as close as I wanted to be. It was a pretty packed show at the Beecham, but. Close enough that I got errand spray every once in a while. And I was doing a lot of recording for the girl who I was supposed to take um, ended up having to stay home for a variety of reasons. So she was like, please just send me a bunch of video. So I did. So there'd be times like, I'm like recording with my phone and I'm not, you know, and I can see the spray and I don't feel like I'm in the, the spray zone. And then suddenly I'm like, right in the face, right in the pirate eye. <laughs> uh, it's just, um, so a lot of my footage is, ah, you know, one of those deals. <laughs> A lot of fun. Anyway, so this is this is the this is what happened to my shirt. 
uh, all this red spray. I got some blue spray on me too when he was spraying from his uh, cod piece that he was wearing. <laughs> the cod <laughs> piece. <laughs> just so yep. sorry, just so not nonchalantly you said that. Oh yeah, I I absolutely got came on by Guar, and I loved every minute of it. Ta-da! Oh, thank you so much for that, Mark. I needed that. Yeah, Alexa said you have to wear that shirt on the Dama review, and I was like, done. <laughs> <laughs> However, I will not be wearing this to Stevie Nicks tonight. I'm going to change my shirt. Well, obviously, you want to yeah. make sure that that do- that shirt doesn't get covered with glitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got to get a new shirt so I can get it all bedazzled. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was the sign language for it? glitter? Is that that's what we learned when know. we reviewed yeah, only fans. murders in the building, something like that? <laughs> Yeah, because they were like, oh, that's fancy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So, yes, we are talking about uh, the bio ser- mini series that uh, premiered on Netflix about Jeffrey Dahmer, one of the most prolific serial killers in American history. Uh, Dahmer was, had killed. Let's see. I'm trying to actually get the. I should have pulled the data. So, I got all the stuff on the show here, but I actually don't have anything on Dahmer himself and it's like i really probably should have that as well all right american serial killer and sex offender who committed the murder and dismemberment of 17 men and boys between 1978 and 1991 with many of his later murders involving necrophilia cannibalism and the permanent preservation of body parts typically all or part of the skeleton so yeah this is kind of a gruesome chapter in american history uh dahmer is portrayed by evan peters uh who is again if you're a fan of ryan murphy's work you should be very familiar with him uh peters has been in i believe all seasons of american horror story i could be wrong but i think all seasons uh, if you're not a fan of that, he also uh, portrayed Quicksilver in the new X-Men movies. That was where I was actually introduced to him. It's a lot of fun in that in that role. Uh, th- this is just such a departure from that role, though. He is absolutely terrifying in this. He is just really, really scary. This is a very dark series. A lot of people I talked to who watched it actually said they couldn't binge the whole thing that they had to take breaks i personally i did have to take breaks my husband and i watched like two to three episodes at a time it's like okay we're gonna go you know go do something else uh mark how did you handle this show what what, what was it for you i think just because of my professional background and things that i've been exposed to in my life i i got that it's creepy um it definitely moves at a slow pace especially the first two or three episodes but i didn't feel like it was overwhelming the way that you had been describing um i mean evan peters's performance is a tour de force he is absolutely phenomenal in this give this uh, man an it, emmy right now please yeah if he doesn't at least get an emmy nomination if not win that outright win the thing that, that's a crime against his career uh i really the whole cast uh, niecy nash is phenomenal in this i I want to answer your question, but just a quick side thing on Niecy Nash. She doesn't get a lot of credit for being an outstanding actress. Uh, she's kind of tarred with that Reno 911 feather, where it's like, that's all anyone, you know, she's been in Claws. She's had a whole bunch of different roles and different things. And she kind of gets the loud black woman thing um, a lot of times, and she gets kind of dismissed. 
But go back and look through her more dramatic offerings. She is a phenomenal actress, and she really brings it here. If you are looking for a actress to sort of portray the trauma and hurt of the collective African-American experience, boy, does Nisi Nash do that in this show. She's outstanding. And I can't say enough good things about her. Um, and the rest of the cast is, is good, too. But between her and Evan Peters, they are really carrying the weight of this show on their shoulders. As for my own personal experience with it, I broke it up over a couple of different viewings, not necessarily because it was too overwhelming, just because of time. I would watch a little bit at work on my breaks. I watched a bunch yesterday before I took my kids to go see Black Adam. And then I finished, uh, almost finished it this morning. It was actually on episode 10 when we started. So it was just over a matter of trying to fit it into my ever so busy schedule. Um, I'm social. So, <laughs> so just trying to social trying to and responsible for a collection of knuckleheads on this network. Correct. Um, so just, I had just have a lot going on and, and to, which part of why I stepped out of doing television reviews is I just don't have time to watch 10 hours of television uh, per week. So I, I really tried to fit as much of this in where I could, when I could. Um, as far as the, the series effect on me, I mean, working in the criminal justice system for the past decade, I have seen some shit both literally and figuratively. Um, I have heard some horrendous stories. I've seen a lot of men bleeding uh, for one reason or another because I work in the mental health part of correctional me uh, medicine. So other than just being mesmerized by performances and the weight of what's, of the story being told, um, I, 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 didn't, I didn't necessarily feel the need to walk away from the television. I, I could have done 10 hours of this without an issue if I had the time. Guess you're just made of stronger stuff than I am. You know, we'll trade. I'll make jewelry for a year. You co-work in a jail. And we'll and we'll and we'll and then we'll and then we'll watch the same show and see how we do. Yeah, good point. Mm. Yeah, Nisi Nash does play a really she does so good in this. She plays uh, Glenda Cleveland, who is Dahmer's neighbor in the apartment complex. And a lot of this this is actually a fascinating show because it's not just from Dahmer's point of view. This isn't just about him. We see a lot from her point of view as his neighbor we see all the stuff that i mean she did not know what he was doing obviously but she had her reasons to suspect him she was terrified there was horrible smells coming from there there were all these noises there was a we have the case of the one uh young man that he basically tries to lobotomize and zombify and she tries to get him help and the cops do nothing and it's it's my boyfriend it certainly is mm. <laughs> yeah it's absolutely she's terrified she knows something is going on she doesn't know what she doesn't know the extent and it really is scary for her and we see a lot of her perspective both before Dahmer's arrested and after that the fact that she is now you know she's coming to grips with living next to a serial killer we get a great scene where she and her daughter come home and there's a couple of freaking Dahmer fanboys outside the apartment and they're taking pictures and like making motions like you know mm -hmm. and she's just like oh my god i live next to this i had to deal with this why are you glamorizing it we can see we, so much i'm sorry can go we talk about that yeah can we yeah. just talk about that because I'm just going to read from the wiki here because I think, and not that I want to take over your hosting duties here, but I, Go for I it. this kind of bothers me um, on, a, on a couple of different levels. The series was controversial. This is right from the Wikipedia page in the introduction. The series was controversial upon its release. While Peter's performance was praised by some critics, the series has largely received controversy and backlash for the glamorized, 
disrespectful and exploitive nature of Dahmer and his murders. Dahmer surviving victims and relatives of the deceased victims have criticized the series for similar reasons, with many calling the series traumatizing. The show has led to a number of people preemptively dressing, dressing up. Okay, well, we don't need to get into that right this second. We'll get into that a little yeah. bit later. I, I want to talk about the word glamorizing because I feel like it's way overused. Let me let me posit a personal opinion uh, about documentaries, uh, biopics, etc., that deal in this kind of territory. It is important to report on things that happened in history, and many things that happened in history were very ugly. They're they're terrible. We have we as human beings have been shitty to each other, and we continue to be um, in different ways. Yes, yeah. To not talk about and pass on the stories of years past of the bad things we did, we will forget them. And you know, when you forget history, you you tend to repeat it. Yeah, it's like those who do not learn from history. Right. It's one of the most famous phrases in the world for a reason, because we because we don't learn from it. We do it over and over again. When Sean first said, hey, we're moving from audio to video and we'll still have audio, but we're mostly going to be a video show now, a video podcast network. The first thing he said, like, you don't want to just show two people talking. You want to put up like pictures and graphics and you want to make it visually appealing. We've since gotten away from that because you will get dinged for everything on YouTube. So I, I tend to be very careful with what I put on screen, having, you know, one or two community violations in, on our record. Yeah, but, that's why we stopped doing trailer reacts, too. We got yeah. really tired of getting in trouble. Right. So my point is, like, there, when Ryan Murphy takes it upon himself to tell the story of Jeffrey Dahmer, he has to do so in a way that's engaging for the audience, that's narratively appealing, um, aesthetically uh, intriguing. You you got to put something on screen that people are going to want to watch for 10 hours, broken up or all at once. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you keep it interesting without tripping up the people who say, you're glamorizing, you're being exploitive. No, he was telling the story. I don't know how, and I don't know how much of this is exactly what happened with the people involved and how much of it is creative license, but that's also a trick to creating uh entertainment whether it's based on real life or not is you get to have some degree of creative license my, my cousin george once said you know but <laughs> i think it was the queen movie he was complaining about he was just like i was like it was a fun movie but i don't know what band they're talking about half of that shit didn't happen um the vh1 movie about Def leopard where they were like and they cleaned up their act and you know and and then released hysteria and my friends looking at me going are you kidding me they were so drunk on the hysteria tour it's legendary you know like I understand that not every biopic is going to be 100% accurate to the story. And sometimes you have to make creative licensing decisions in order to get it out there. But I'm really getting a little, I don't want to be disrespectful to the victims. But I do think that people, I don't want to speak specifically about the victims of this, but just in general, people get a little hypersensitive about their story. And like, we don't want our story told. We want it told because we want to punish the police, who, you know, who a lot of this is about police incompetence. A lot of this is about um about neglect benign neglect uh, of the african-american community of the gay community you know mm -hmm. gay black men are being eaten by you know by a blonde white guy really who's being harmed you know that kind of a thing they do point out throughout the series that Dahmer lived in a predominantly poor area of the city which was more heavily populated with minorities majority of his victims were minorities right. and 
the cops essentially say that's just the Dahmer seems to come across the way Dahmer is portrayed. He seems to come across more like that was just what was available that, to that him. Was what ava- that was what available was at the market at the time. Yeah, Pretty I much. Was- <laughs> he, he actually, he openly, because yeah, one cop actually says, why did you live in this area? He's like, were you purposely going after, uh, you know, black people, you know, living in this neighborhood, living in this particular building? And he mm-hmm. says something to the effect of, it's what I could afford. Right. So. Yeah, he's, he's not being driven by race. That race become the issue of race becomes part of the narrative because of the way the police treated it again you're talking about the late 70s early 80s again but blacks and gays not high on the radar of protection for most police precincts there's a reason why public enemy wrote a song called 911 is a joke you know because while the black neighborhood is burning down the cops will get there eventually that kind of thing so my point being like you have to you if you choose to tell the <coughs> once you've decided you're going to tell this horrific story you have to do so in a way that's entertaining. And I don't, and it, I, I guess that entertaining comes across as exploitive to people or the fact that you did it at all. It's like either, I, I don't, I, I feel like we're just so afraid to talk about the bad things that everyone's knee jerk reaction. And it's, it's, I, not to be too provocative here, but I feel like this is a, like a conversation that my wife and I have had about like toxic masculinity. Everything is toxic. Everything is exploitive everything is sensational okay when you you overuse those words then nothing is any of those things and you can't have a conversation if alexis and i are having a conversation and every word out of my mouth she goes you're being toxic you're being you know you're a toxic i actually was wearing a shirt earlier that says toxic masculinity in rainbow letters um (laughs) but if you can't have a civil conversation between people and share ideas without one person resorting to blanket Twitter-esque name-calling, you're toxic, you're gaslighting, you're sensationalizing, you're being exploitive, then there is no conversation to be having, nothing gets talked about, nothing gets worked on. And we just go, we just end up eating our tail. That is my big frustration with this series, is that it speaks to something that absolutely needs to be talked about. The benign neglect of police to underserved minority communities the experience you know experiences of gay men the fact that we have a mental health crisis in this country that lends itself in some very rare cases but definitely in some cases to a homicidal maniac who is drugging and kidnapping and eating people and we have to start somewhere with that conversation shows like this get get those conversations going that's the purpose that they serve other than entertaining entertaining and getting people to subscribe to netflix I, it's a little frustrating to hear people then, you know, like, oh, I don't want my story being told. Okay. <laughs> it is interesting because it appears that a lot of those who complained about this either mm-hmm. were upset that they weren't consulted for this or they were just upset that this happened in general. I got some quotes here from uh, some of those who made their voices clear. We have Eric Perry, a cousin of Dahmer victim Errol Lindsay. He tweeted that his relatives did not find out about the series until uh, when it was released. And this this uh, series re-traumatized many of uh, the victim's loved ones. Uh, Lindsay's sister, Rita Isabel, who is depicted in the series yelling at Dahmer in a courtroom scene. That's actually a very famous clip that you can find on YouTube. Described the show as feeling, quote, harsh and careless. Uh, Shirley Hughes, the mother of Tony Hughes, uh, who was also killed by Dahmer, criticized the series for both inaccurately depicting the events surrounding her son's murder and for not contracting or contacting her <clears throat> or other surviving loved ones of uh, the victims uh, during the production process. 
I can't she, remember, Alexis, at any point in the credits of this, or was there like a warning that, you know, that the, these scenes have been dramatized for purposes or anything like that? If there was, I sure as heck don't remember it. The okay. only uh, note that I remember seeing was that there w- has been no, there was apparently a call to build a memorial to the victims mm-hmm. of Dahmer uh, in the empty lot where they tore down the building. Mm-hmm. And that memorial has never come to surface. But in a, again, is that the best thing to do to do something like that? Won't that, is that not just the same as a show like this? Does that not mm-hmm. just, you know, maybe not glamorize, but does it At not what, just bring up those memories? This, when does this stop? At what point do we, do we never discuss history? Do we never discuss things that have happened? Do we not use anecdotes from, uh, you know, this event or that event to give examples of things that we're talking about that we're trying to teach people? You, you have to pass the knowledge on to the next generation or it gets lost. I, so when, when do, I'm, I'm sensitive to the oversensitivity in our culture. And I would love to talk, talk to people from Europe about this because I feel like people from Europe have a completely different like sense of these things. Like, you know, like, oh, there's this serial, you know, Jack the Ripper or something like oh, this is a serial killer that running around England. They're like, oh, it's fine. You know, people in France are just drinking wine. It's fine. Nobody cares. Um, <laughs> only in America are people like, ah, I don't want my story being told. I should have been consulted. Like, nobody can do anything without, you know, running it through the fucking Star Wars level chorus and council of a, a billion fucking senators. Well, there is also also in the fact that you're bringing up Jack the Ripper. I think it's also important to point out, what are you drinking? The blood of my victims. Um, No, it's uh, (laughs) a... What is that? It's it's, a Publix brand green tea with ginseng and honey. I'm sorry, just every now and then you pull out this giant jug. I'm like, what is it? I I, I pour things in a nice glass and then you can't see it. Um, I pour (laughs) things in a nice glass and then I run out and then I, you know, I need something to drink and I gotta run off camera. I just now I'm prepared. Okay. Focus, woman. Sorry, you're the one with the giant jug of mystery juice. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) So what you were talking about with Jack the Ripper, mm-hmm. though, I think it is important to point out that, again, Dahmer was killing up until 1991. This is still technically recent history. We can talk about Jack the Ripper all day long because anyone associated with that as long dead. Right. This is a much more recent case. Is it a case? Was this done too early? Should we have waited? Is that is it you know it has to be the is it does it have to take more time before we're willing to talk about this what at least 30 years i mean tanya harding you know uh that whole story that movie i tanya happens what a decade or two after the uh the the, you know the the (laughs) she got taken out of the knees um not that you can compare that to murder, but obviously, but I feel like we deal with stuff a lot sooner than 30 years. Like there's, there's a precedent set. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I, I personally, and I'll entertain a debate about this, I guess, but I personally think as a culture, we're a little too sensitive to this sort of thing. I think you put up a little warning that says these are, these, these events are dram- uh, dramatized for entertainment purposes. I think, um, 
you know, I think you can talk. I, I think you can consult with these people or like at least, you know, a courtesy letter out there. But I don't know how many people on Brian Murphy's production team even knew how to get out of contact all of these people, how to find them. It's been 30 years at the least. So anyway, what else did you want to talk about? Well, there was another art. Again, let's go ahead and talk about the other article that was uh, mentioned in that wiki almost read in which <sighs> apparently now we have the popularity of Jeffrey Dahmer Halloween costumes, which eBay has uh, prohibited on their site. They are removing any and all listings of those. There has been a massive skyrocket in Dahmer's popularity due to this. My sister actually shared a Reddit feed on her Facebook page mm -hmm. with people commenting about how adorable Dahmer was. These are real life pictures they're using on the Reddit mm -hmm. feed. These are not pictures of Evan Peters, who, yes, is gorgeous. You know, no question there. And there's all these people just like, oh, he's so adorable. He's so cute. I just want to pinch his cheeks. And it's like, do you people not know what he did? <laughs> and there is just and, and i know that Dahmer was technically very good looking he used his charm and good looks to lure many of his victims obviously very similar to ted how ted bundy got his victims this is not unheard of in cases of serial killers but the fascination that has just propped come up with this it's it's disturbing it's kind of fascinating you know what did you think of the article I sent you about the Jeffrey Dahmer Halloween costumes? Uh, I mean, it's another example of how ridiculous we are in this culture. Hey, real quick. So so there's all kinds of um, controversy about this series. We reviewed Extremely Wicked, uh, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile right here on this very network, the very same. And that was about Ted Bundy, played by mm -hmm. Zac Efron. It was me, Pat, and Robert Winfrey. That Great came series. out... Yeah, th that came out May 3rd, 2019 um, on Netflix. And I'm looking through it here. I'm looking through the wiki. I don't see a tremendous amount of like backlash to this. There wasn't. The, the, the biggest news about that was, again, just how dark it was. There right. was a lot of articles about don't watch this alone. Don't watch this in the dark kind of a thing. And I'm not going to lie. I watched it in 2019 and I... I remember it being dark, but I don't remember. I remember this series being mm -hmm. a lot more terrifying than uh, the Bundy series. Well, it's interesting because we have two different modern serial killers, two different shows, both on Netflix. Um, and one engenders controversy and one doesn't. Um, the other thing, and the reason why I thought about it was you talk about how good looking Jeffrey Dahmer was. Yes, yeah, so was Ted Bundy. Mm -hmm. you know, I, and not, they're both played by two very good looking actors. Right. The other thing it reminded me of was when I was when I was in professional wrestling for the brief time that I was for XPW, we actually had a character who was Pogo the Clown, and it was based on John Wayne Gacy, which you take that and the Halloween costume thing, the proliferation of uh, true crime podcasts, mostly listened to by white women, um, the uh, the the boom in true crime uh, television shows like snapped or whatever, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of worried husbands at home watching their wives watch a lot of these shows. And you can't talk about this without acknowledging the fascination with serial killers. Anyone that I see, I don't have that fascination. I, I again, I work in correctional me mental health. I don't 
care as such. This is not this is not something I run after. But I do talk to a lot of like like my nursing friends, female nursing friends who love this stuff. And I'm like, why? Why are you so obsessed with serial killers? Like, I just want to know, like, what, you know, the average human being, there's like 300 billion people on this planet. Not everyone's a serial killer. So the ones that do really stand out. And when they do, people want to know why. What drives a guy like Jeffrey Dahmer to want to drug, dismember, and eat people? What drives Ted Bundy to do what he did? What drives John Wayne Gacy to do what he did? Charles Manson, etc. Um, you know, and more and more and more modern times, you have the uh, the two, the father and the son that shot up the people in D.C. You know, you've got the you know the Columbine kids, the those school shooters, that sort of thing. You have the most recent one. Where everyone's fighting, fighting with each other about whether or not it actually happened. The one, the one kid who shot up his school, um, I think it was in Connecticut. Which we also say, which one? <laughs> yeah, well, and 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 I'm but not again, saying that is a joke. I'm being totally serious. Right. Here. We, I think we just there, had there, another school shooting yesterday in St. Louis. Right, and the fact that like we're not even, you know, they're not even big news anymore. There was a point where the whole country would stop if there was a school shooting. Now it's like, oh, there's another one. Okay. You know, you don't, you don't even know, you know, unless you live there. Mm-hmm. So my point being, like, there is, I think, on the one hand, a fascination with why people do what they do, but also sort of the tacit recognition that if we don't figure this out, a lot more people are going to get hurt. And so I think that's the benefit of stories like these is to remind us, hey, we have a problem where we have neglected people with mental illness that some of them will turn into, not all of them, obviously, but some of them, a very select few, will then turn into monsters, and then, and then what do we do? Because um, one of the things the series talks about is the traumatic effect that monster had on that community, on those families that they were living with years and years after. You know, Nisi Nash talks about in the show in the last episode or two how they can't sleep in their own beds out of like trauma and fear and night terrors and whatnot. And so they sleep in the hallway, things like that. And then, of course, they have they find out that they're being evicted. the The building is, the yeah. owner of the building has just decided to have the building condemned. It's just there is no saving it, and What's and he's so- not wrong. And again, this kind of this a lot of this does come back to it's like, mm-hmm. is it better to memorialize or to just just try to co- just? I don't want to say the words cover. <coughs> I'm sorry. It, it's been raining like crazy, and I've got so much crap in my throat. It's, I don't want to use the phrase cover up or erase, but so much of this, we see them saying it's like, if we don't just get rid of it, it will be glamorized. In the, the last, final, in the the final last... episode, we find out that Dahmer's mother tried to save his brain to have mm-hmm. it studied. And his father was like, no, he specifically said in his will, he wanted to be cremated. And the judge actually sides with the father saying, enough with this enough with trying it's like we need to move on destroy the brain see and i disagree with that i think the the more we understand the more we learn the better off we'll be you know um you wanted to finish your statement so i meant to cut i wanted to cut in and say the last uh review we did of the wire at the end of it um when they for those that don't know didn't see the review or hear the review or just don't know anything about the wire in the third season one of the um one of the majors decides that there's going to be a section of Baltimore that they're just going to allow drugs to be dealt. 
They're just not, you know, they'll police it, but they're not going to stop the drug dealing from happening. And as long as you're dealing drugs there, you won't get arrested. They refer now they, they get the name Amsterdam because drugs are legal in Amsterdam. But because it's ghetto kids, they called it ham with an H, Hamsterdam. By the end of season three, Hamsterdam has been bulldozed. And Bubs, uh, Bubbles is talking to Major Colvin, who, who, who did this. And he was like, they just, it's like they took a big eraser and just ran it over it. Like, whoop, get this out of here. The, while I can certainly sympathize with the idea of we need to process, we need to heal, and we need to move on, turn the pages of your life and go on to the next chapter, I think some room needs to be left for leaving things around for other people to study. You don't have to. You don't have to continue to go over the same um, upsetting events. But I do think there are people out there, you know, like the NFL thing where there, there was a lot of like suicides and whatnot. And a couple of the players like shot themselves in the heart because they wanted their brains Brace preserved. To be studied, exactly. Yeah, that sort of thing. I'm like, I think there's room in this world for both. I get asked a lot, like, you know, do you think science and religion can ever be um, reconciled? And I was like, sure. I think there's room in this world for faith and science. It's the ones that want to make you choose that are the problem. Um, so as far as the series goes, I sympathize with the perspective of the show, you know, about people, about how traumatizing this was. What's more interesting to me about this show, and we haven't really talked about it yet, is the benign neglect of the police. You know, that this one, he got away with it for so long because the, the cops that were dealing with it, who got left off the hook, by the way, Mm -hmm. They were investigated. They, they, so just there's a lot about the kid from Laos, the 14-year-old kid from Laos who he uh, he ends up murdering. And the scene... Whose older brother was also sexually assaulted by Dahmer. Mm -hmm. And Dahmer got sent to prison, but he got yeah. out pretty quick. Right, because, because this country hates children and doesn't sentence people long enough when they attack them. By the way, <laughs> off my soapbox. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> what did this country hate more than gays and blacks all children all of them just every last one doesn't matter what color anyway um so the scene is he's drugged this kid this 14 year old kid that he was supposed to like buy alcohol for and of course you know doesn't go that way the kid runs naked out of the apartment and collapses in, in collapses in front he wasn't he just drugged he was partially lobotomized Okay. He poured boiling water or acid or something. He drugged him. Oh, my God. I feel sick just talking about this. Drilled a hole in his head mm -hmm. and poured either acid or boiling water into it to try to... Dahmer admitted that what he wanted to do was essentially make... Zombies. Yeah. He wanted someone who would just stay with him mm -hmm. and right. not leave and not have to do anything very we get an early episode where he steals a mannequin from a clothing mm -hmm. store and the way he caresses it in a bed is disturbing but you realize so much of that that's what he wanted i so i was talking with that friend, mannequin i watched that scene yesterday and i was texting with a friend of mine and i was like can you and we were texting we were talking about the show like can you imagine getting your pages for that day you're evan peters you've got this netflix show this could be a game changer for you you could get a lot of really great juicy dramatic roles after this you just got you got to hit a home run you got to nail this and he gets his pages for that episode he's like i gotta do what with this mannequin <laughs> what <laughs> why <laughs> we can't just allude to it no evan i need you to get right on top of that mannequin i'm gonna need you to fuck that mannequin evan uh, i am ryan murphy make love to it like oh my god <laughs> it was a very detailed mannequin to move. <laughs> 
I need you to treat that mannequin like the whore that it is. Okay, Ryan. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh my God. <laughs> Make another American crime story, for God's sake. No. <laughs> An American love story starring Evan Peters and a mannequin. Jesus, Ryan, calm down. Oh. Um, <laughs> that's how I imagine that whole day went. Do we, but yeah, do we I mean, have Ryan Murphy doesn't even have the camera on. He's like, How many takes are we doing? Oh, that's right. Turn the camera on. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Damn you, Ryan. <laughs> are you good? Can we move on? Yes. Going back to uh, the boy who was, it's like, let's stop laughing about the mannequin and go back to the boy who was partially lobotomized. So, yeah, um, so the cops come and investigate, and Nishi Nash is like, I, does he not seem like a child to you? They're like, how old is he? 19? Yeah, he looks 19. D you know, does he have ID? He lost his ID. It's fine. He's like, he's my boyfriend. He's oh, sitting he's in there in his underwear. Right. You know, oh, he he's your boyfriend? Clothes on. Yeah, oh, he's your boyfriend? That's fine. Just take him upstairs. And Nishi Nash is like, are you fucking serious? None of this looks at all suspicious to you? I want to, you really have to dig into that scene a little bit. You're the cops. You don't care if homosexuals get killed or not. You just, you just kind of not want to deal with them. You certainly don't care what happens to black people in that community. And you don't really want to get your hands dirty. I mean, this is something that happens now, but for entirely different reasons, where you have cops that are sometimes afraid to deal with a situation because no good can come of it. They deal with the situation if it goes in any way badly. And even if it doesn't, they might get accused of it anyway. There's like... No, if I get involved, if I get involved in something, if I go to make an arrest, I get in trouble because I might have, you know, violated this or that or upset somebody or whatever. There, there's just a lot because of like the whole like defund the police movement and all that. There's a lot of cops that are just like, I don't even know why I get out of my squad car anymore. Mm -hmm. Why? Not, I'm not appreciated for anything that I do. It's like for every 100 officers that maintain the rules and do the appropriate thing, one, one does something bad. But everyone gets tarred with the same feather is the perspective of a lot of law enforcement. Absolutely. We suffer for the bad apples amongst us. And, and we're not given any benefit of the doubt anymore. It's kind of hard to get the willpower to get up and do my job. Like, I'll respond to something if I have to. But if I don't, I'm not entirely sure why I bother. And you look at those cops in that scene and they're just like, whatever grossness this is, we don't want to deal with it. Just take it into the, just take it back into the apartment. And you see Nash is like, a crime is being perpetuated here. Maybe, but if I do anything about it, it could be trouble. Eh, just leave it alone. Well, look at the first episode. When you have mm -hmm. the one victim who manages to escape, he's running down the street. He's got the handcuff on one mm -hmm. hand. He is telling the cops, this guy tried to drug me. He said he was going to kill me. He said he was going to eat my heart. It mm -hmm. isn't until the cops actually go in and find the hardcore evidence that they're actually even willing to do anything about it. They mm -hmm. go in treating this like, okay, let's get this over and done with. You know, they have a very have an air of, oh, whatever. This is probably just some kind of role-playing thing gone wrong or something. Right. And it is important to point out that, again, Dahmer was stopped in 1991. Even in the early 90s, the homosexual community was still treated with a lot of disdain and it's clear that these cops do not want to get involved. They are right. just, they do not understand homosexuality and they do not understand what is going on between these two men. And they're kind of creeped out by it. It isn't until the one cop finds the pictures that Dahmer took of his victims and mm -hmm. realizes 
these are real. These are not, this is not just play shit. This is real that they suddenly snap back and realize, oh God, we got to do something. Right. We can't walk. This is too big now. We can't walk away from this. Mm -hmm. Because that's the whole thing. They're investigating. And and let's give the investigations the benefit of the doubt here. Because I don't know. I I wasn't there. Um, You know, I haven't read enough about this to make a determination of, oh, a lot of this was just papered over. Giving it the benefit of the doubt. When the officers are like, he's a grown man. The other guy's a grown man. Yeah, we could have done more, but what if what if we're wrong? It, it's so on the it's so on the line, you know. It, it it could go either way. You can there's a small part, just being fair-minded and giving the benefit of the doubt. There's a small part that kind of sides with the cops that goes, Yeah, I can see why they ignored this. Now, when you weigh that up against the entire context of everything Dahmer did and everything that was said about him and the amount of complaints that went on, no. Obviously, this this then goes through benign neglect, and more should have been done to punish the officers. But that's something the series talks about. The, the officers never get punished. Um, I think. And again, even like, it, I was saying again, it's important to point out Dahmer himself said he didn't mm-hmm. choose blacks, minorities, the like, because he was purposely targeting them. Right, the, the but series, it's a case. It's, it's, an, but, it's an interesting dichotomy because yes, Dahmer killed black and gay guys. But that's not the crime that's being permitted. Uh, that's not the crime being necessarily talked about in this show. The crime being talked about in the show is that the cops, the did cops nothing ignoring of that. it. Yes. Right. Based, essentially, the idea is that if Dahmer had been in a different neighborhood and been killing white people, the cops probably would have noticed it a little bit more quickly. Had Dahmer been killing rich white women, he'd have gotten one or two, and that would have been the end of it. Mm-hmm. But, like, and I don't mean like, and I don't say that facetiously or to, to be funny or whatever. We, you attack white women in this country, they will bring the National Guard on you. You you attack gay black men, you might be able to get away with it for about 20 years before anyone figures it out. Unfortunately. That's our country. Yep. Not proud of it. It is what it is. But, you know, stories like this, hopefully, you know, stories like this should inspire people to then go to their local precincts and go, hey... I think this is a, there's a. I know we made fun of this. I know Robert Winfrey like was like throwing pumpkins on fire about this line from Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but like Falcon like yelling at senators going do better. Well, like what was he supposed to do? <laughs> like you know, start like be like black Adam start throwing senators into the sky. All you really can say to your elected officials is do better, do better, Absolutely. or we'll vote somebody else in your place who will hopefully not do worse. That's that's kind of democracy for you. It's what we need to do as a, as a society. We mm-hmm. have to try. We have to do better. So I, and I hope that this series like inspires people to like, like, Hey, you know, in underserved communities, this is a reminder that, you know, the cops in this area, like people need, the cops need to do better, but the people, the people themselves also need to not treat the cops as a hostile invading force would also be nice. Very true. But again, this series does, I mean, even to the fact that we have someone calling victim family victims, threatening not threatening them per se but just coming across as truly terrifying and you find out it's those two cops who got let off right you know because god that laotian family dared to challenge cops (laughs) that weren't doing the right thing and allowed their son to be murdered and they're you know and and they're the offended ones yeah it's like uh this is the guy who sexually assaulted our first mm -hmm. son and then killed our second son it's like and if you had done your job the first time 
maybe more victims could have been spared. Right. And instead of having the cognitive uh, ability to be like, oh, well, you know, you're right. I, I'll, you know, at the very least, sorry, we fucked up. We'll be, we'll do better. It's like, how dare you? How dare you challenge me, law enforcement, and, and shame us and say that we did a bad job. We're law enforcement. We're perfect. See, this is where the, that antagonism comes from. You have, you know, this group of people who think they can't do any wrong and a group of people constantly being wronged. They're going to fight a lot. Um, go ahead. No, I wasn't going to say that. I was still listening. I was just, again, sorry, clearing out my throat. There are a couple of uh, points in the series I do want to talk about there. You know, we agreed we weren't going to discuss like episode by episode because then we're going to be here forever. But there are a couple of really good episodes I want to talk about. One is Silence. This is the episode about Tony Hughes, who mm -hmm. was one of the victims and was deaf. Uh, again, the show does not just focus on Dahmer, but we jump around to perspectives from a variety of characters. And we do see the perspective from a couple of his victims. Hughes being one of the most prolific ones as we see that he and Dahmer actually do have a connection in fact there's it's almost kind of sad because he lets him go but then when Hughes comes back because he forgot his keys and you realize that if he hadn't done that he might have escaped and it's just kind of you know it's really scary to think about something like mm -hmm. that but the episode does a great job uh it's very similar to an episode of only murders in the building that we discussed that was in take that took entirely from theo's perspective so there was very little dialogue uh we see tony and how he interacts with people being deaf and how he his he and his family signed to one another again it's a very fascinating episode and tony's family um was very unhappy with the portrayal of it but i and i would i would need to do more research and listen to their arguments but just from a, per a storytelling perspective a dramatic set point this was a very i thought this was a very well done episode i did too um unfortunately i was also watching it while i was doing stuff on my computer so i had so i didn't realize the whole thing was going to be silent but i but to your point about taking one episode and doing something a little bit different with it that's you know separate from the rest of the series doing it all with no sound and reading having to read the captions as they sign to each other or read lips or whatever it, it was an interesting episode i think um it broke up the it, it broke up the show nicely as does the episodes that deal just with nishi nash or the guy who plays lionel dahmer um Richard we, jenkins who is one of the best character actors out there i've seen him in so much and he is amazing i didn't realize the ex-wife the uh the stepwife jesus christ the second wife uh jeffrey Dahmer's stepmother i didn't realize molly, molly ringwald, ringwald. Yeah. yeah what <laughs> credit to the costume and hair people on this show that did not look like molly ringwald at all <laughs> I think it is also important the way that they do see a lot from Lionel and his uh, first wife's perspective, especially we get a later episode where they try to find the blame for this. And this is something that we do as, not as society, but just as humans. Mm -hmm. We want to find something to blame. We are terrified of when things go wrong and there is no reason for it that is the scariest thing to us is the idea that there is no point of why something has gone wrong oh, and you see about... Lionel's wife blaming each other mm -hmm. um you see uh all of a sudden and, and yes his first according to this his first wife jeffrey's mother was on a crazy amount of drugs mm -hmm. uh psychiatric drugs while she was pregnant and obviously we know now probably not a good thing but 
it's just kind of terrifying the way that they fight about it because they really want to know why did our son end up like this whose fault was it was it because my wife was on drugs was it because i left the house all the time who do we point that we want to put we as humans need to find something to point our fingers at um sorry uh they say that religion is the the usefulness of religion is to explain the things that science can't you know humans want to know but why and where science fails them there is faith the idea that some you know that you could have brought this person to this world and this person would go on to hurt so many people and you just want to know why like i just you have to wrap your head around it you know i i often say to my wife i if i could just understand your decision i i could i could accept it i can accept that it's the wrong one but at least I, but at least i know how you got there you know mm-hmm. it's a, i understand why you're doing what you're doing um same thing with my kids this was like explain to me how we got to this point because i'll under, I, I i could deal with it a lot better you know dennis leary's whole thing about the kid who stuck the peanut butter sandwich in the in the vcr um or the laser disc player whatever it was <laughs> things like that like explain to me how we got from yania and um jeffrey dahmer you know and lionel lionel's sitting there like i i just don't i don't understand why you were sexually assaulting and eating people and if i could i could i could live with this a little bit better and and the the last couple of episodes are about living with this thing you know jeffrey dahmer created this event that affected so many people from his family to the victim's families to local law enforcement uh, you know city officials like this touched everybody in that community far and wide and then everyone's just like but how did this happen why did this happen the show talks about mental illness um it talks about neglect it talks about um you know it, it talks about the ways in which parents try to bond with their children and you think you're doing the right thing. You think you're making the right decisions. I talked about this last week about, you know, Steve Martin saying to his daughter, like, I didn't think I was allowed to talk to you. You know, Lionel has kind of a this moment of like, I didn't know I was supposed to check on him over the summer. I should have, I suppose. I didn't know his mother was going to leave him. Um, and just the enormous amount of guilt that's being processed through this whole thing. And then you have Jeffrey Dahmer himself. And they're like, but why? And he was like, I was compelled to. I, I don't know why. I think like why did you, why was it such a long time between victims? I was trying to be good. I know this wasn't good. He had that much of a conscience about it, but it is an interesting thing to consider the human brain and that we are pushed to do the things that we are, even when they even when we're hurting ourselves and the people around us. And we do it anyway. Why? Why does that happen? And I think the why is important. And I think investigating the why is something that need, is something that should happen. But as we talked about in almost an hour ago, it's almost like we don't, I don't want to know why I just wanted to stop. I'm not entirely sure what the benefit of that is. And we also look at the idea of who, who does benefit in the end. And what is that benefit deserved? Lionel ends up writing a book about his experience with his son. And we see the beginning he's not doing this for cash he's not doing this as a publicity thing mm-hmm. he starts writing the book as a way to deal with his demons not unheard of a lot of, they just know, did this in halloween ends it opens with fucking jamie lee curtis writing about her experiences with michael myers exactly a lot of people write and do this because i mean there's a reason that there are so many therapists to say write the stuff down or or art therapy page your feelings you know mm-hmm. this is a way for him to deal to kind of 
get down to really figure out what happened and to get it out but the victims file a lawsuit against him to stop it from being published and to stop him from making any money because they're saying any money you make from this should go to the victims and he's sitting there going i wasn't doing this to glamorize what my son did right again it goes back to the overuse of that word like i i really like a little ways back robert and i had a discussion over could we actually define what toxic masculinity is because it seemed to just be any behavior women don't like about men like there's no there's no good definition here there's no 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 one can really agree what this is can we like talk about what glamorizing is because to me being to to glamorize to be exploitive is, is to is to do something merely to make money off of it you know or to you know when they say sensationalize like you're making this out to be like it was a good thing did anyone watch this thinking what jeffrey dahmer did was a good thing like if you as a person watched this entire series and thought you know that man's inspired me. I <laughs> then you need to go get on those same mood stabilizers they put him on. Yeah, like the the problem isn't the show or or general sensationalism. <laughs> the problem is your mental illness. Like nobody with a sound mind watched this show and thought, "Oh, this was a good thing he was doing." What a way to! This is exactly what the gay and black community needed. Nobody thought that, and if you did, you're a lunatic. Pretty much. I don't, I don't see how this is glamorizing any of it. Now, at no point is the perspective of this show, Jeffrey Dahmer's the victim in all of this. Like I said, there is a bit of a double-edged sword on this, mm -hmm. though, because there is the fact that Evan Peters, again, who knocks it out of the park, there was some people who felt that they made him too sexy. I mean, again, Jeffrey Dahmer was a good-looking man. Evan Peters is freaking gorgeous. Well, I understand, because he shows up in every scene shirtless with abs. And his he has some oily. great abs. <laughs> abs. And his skin's all oily. Why does every scene he's in as he's molesting you know, people, he's going, oot, 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 oot. You know, I get it. I understand the over-sexualization of Evan Peters in this. I understand how sexy he was. You know? He is. Yeah, and every, you know, I know the, the, all the victims called him sir. As he was, you know, pulling out his cat and nine tails or his flogger. Now I'm doing Fifty Shades jokes. <laughs> you know, before he attacked all of his victims, he was just wearing a pair of jeans, right? Pretty much. <laughs> uh, anyway, well, if like we hear... scared off what few uh, listeners we had left. If you'd like to hear more of my sexy takes on the Fifty Shades trilogy, hear me and my wife talk about it in the archives. Sweet Jesus. <laughs> Yep, the, the, Melissa Rattler. She's been on Baby Metal. Um, she reviewed a, a Sister Hazel album with me, the Fifty Shades movies, in Downton Abbey. <laughs> so, anyways, I think we've talked about all the major points of this. Mm -hmm. I do love the last episode, the fact that they even point out the parallel of the... Dahmer got baptized in the in the prison mm -hmm. at the exact same time as John Wayne Gacy's execution, which happened during a freaking solar eclipse. This is a hundred percent true. That really did happen. I got nothing. Sorry. <laughs> Actually, I thought it was a bit jarring that they went to John Wayne Gacy and all of that because I'm like I'm watching that episode and I'm like, wait, why are we doing John Wayne Gacy now? Like, what does this have to do with anything? It took me a minute to re. I, I'm I'm just gonna say it. It wasn't until he got the clown makeup on I realized mm -hmm. who that was. Right. I I think it was the parallel to show 
the interview that he gave saying that as he had been rebap he had been baptized in church so he said he was good with god and that was Dahmer's incentive to realize maybe i should do the same thing gotcha. because Dahmer was very devoted to christ while he was in prison he was an adamant uh churchgoer there he was very close uh with the prison's priest minister reverend i, I don't know what the title is exactly and he was baptized as a born-again christian mm -hmm. so i think that was the main point of doing that but again the fact that yeah he was baptized at the same time that gacy was executed is not a crucial point but a very interesting one that's one of those little trivia nuggets that is just like too fascinating to ignore if you ask last me thing, the last thing i want to talk about is i'm just curious and we don't have to spend too long on it but i'm wondering if they could have gotten away with eight episodes as opposed to ten because his trial is like episodes like six and seven mm -hmm. and then i feel like eight and nine is the aftermath but even in the aftermath i'm like okay i only needed one episode of this one episode of everyone kind of moving on you know and the lawsuits that followed and all of that and what happened with the cops we're on episode 10 here, and I'm like, what, what more fucking story is there left to tell of this? Like, I really think they could have gotten this whole story in eight episodes. I, I think eight hours of television was plenty. I don't know if 10, I think 10 is a little overkill. Eight and nine seem also to be, well, they, they are the ones that focus more on uh, Dahmer's family and the victims in the mm -hmm. aftermath. These are the episodes where you find out about Tony Hughes' mother suing Lionel Dahmer over the profits of the book. Uh, the two officers who were suspended over the, for the record, we're saying uh, the last boy because his name is something that neither of us can pronounce. So our apologies. Um, and a little bit about Dahmer's fan base. This He did get fan mail with people sending him money saying, hey, can you send me back autographed? The, that item. line about like, hey, like he's trying to make a trade with a guy that looks like Charles Manson. And... <laughs> He's like, I got all I got all these girls sending me naked pics. Their pussies are hanging out and everything. He's like, I got no use for them. <laughs> like <laughs> that I don't know why that line cracked me up. But it is also absolutely disturbing to think about how the fan base. You have that one um gentleman who bought all of Dahmer's uh items that were put up at auction what a great stage of dialogue that is. is the guy's playing with the drill and the lawyer's like hey you piece of shit put that down that's my property and the guy's like what he's like, like gonna hit him and he's just like i know your union rep i'll get you fired get out of here you sack of shit <laughs> like oh, are you in my family i feel like i know you but yes he gets all of Dahmer's memorabilia but he has mm -hmm. it destroyed right he says flat out because he's it. not wrong. The idea of these things becoming collector's items. We right. have seen things like that where people are just like, yeah, this actually belonged to this serial killer. We see things that belong to the Nazis that are collector's items. Yeah. You know, yep. a, a, a plate, a genuine, a plate from, that was used by the Third Reich can go for hundreds of thousands of dollars on the right market. He's not wrong. And again, he says flat out, we do not want that. He has it destroyed. So, wow, that got, we kept, yeah, it's like, I was just talking about those last two episodes that you said to cut, but I think that that was the reason that they were left in there. Again, I think it was important mm -hmm. for the show to talk about not just Dahmer, but the reaction of everyone else around him. I think so. then maybe some of the, because the first two or three episodes, like I said, they're so hyper-focused on the one victim. Like that first episode is only about that one guy 
that runs to the police and gets the whole thing started. We probably could have cut some of that and, you know, maybe truncated a little bit of the story to get it down to eight episodes instead of ten. But, you know, I don't know. I, I think Robert and I have said this now a couple of times. It feels like when they start to put these shows and movies together because they're going to go straight to streaming, nobody nobody cares about length anymore. You know, no, no, like there a lot of babies that would have been killed in the editing process get to stay alive because it's like, why we have as much time as we need. Okay. Well, I think the one thing that we can definitely take away from this is that despite the outcry from the victims' families and the loved ones, we are going to definitely get more of this. This was, show was not the, num- the numbers ahead. for, yeah, it's like, hang on a second, where's the. Yeah, the series rose to the number one spot on Netflix in the first week of the release. Uh, Netflix announced Dahmer was its ninth most popular English language TV show of all time, with 56 million households having viewed all 10 episodes. This will happen again. Murphy will do another series about another killer. I have absolutely no idea who but, he's going to pick. Okay, but let's let's talk about Ryan Murphy for just a second because we talked about American Horror Story. He's an American Crime Story. You got to understand what these things are, though. So, like, um, just looking through his uh, TV, right? He is the creator of Nip Tuck, Glee, American Horror Story. So, American Crime Story. Want to know what those were? The first one was The People versus O.J. Simpson. That was in 2016. It's amazing, by the way. I love that series. But does that glow, glamorize? You know, are we going to get on Ryan Murphy's case for glamorizing fucking OJ in that one? Because that made a lot of people look bad. Like nobody, nobody got out of that show looking good at all. Not no, no, none of the attorneys, not OJ himself. Nobody gets out of that one looking good. Um, no one assass- got out of that trial looking good. That thing was a joke. Uh, the assassination of Gianni Versace. It's it's not as good as the OJ one, but again, like I wouldn't say that anyone was glamorized or sensationalized, and that is just kind of like a dramatization of what happened. And then this last one, I this, this one I'm intimately familiar with, impeachment. There's the story about like Monica Lewinsky and Linda Tripp and the whole you know and the Clinton thing. Like again, we we didn't t- we've not talked about any of these on this network. But if I had the opportunity to talk about impeachment. I was like, that doesn't make Monica look good at all. It makes Linda Tripp look like a fucking monster. Um, it obviously makes the president look terrible. Hillary Clinton, like, you can't get out of that show without thinking that she totally stayed with him for the power and not in any way for any kind of romantic feelings. Like, boy, was that a marriage of convenience. Um, like, again, he tells these stories about these people and how ugly they are. That's kind of the Ryan Murphy thing. Like, this isn't sexy in any way. This is like, here, here's this thing that we're trying to forget about, and I don't think we should. And I think that's sort of the beauty of what Ryan Murphy does. He is really talented with adaptations. His film adaptations, or his films also include the adaptation of Augustine Burroughs' memoir, Running with Scissors, uh, the memoir, Eat, Pray, Love, the film adaptation of uh, Larry Kramer's play, The Normal Heart. This is a talent that he has. He is really Mm -hmm. good at adapting to screen. This is... it sounds kind of stupid saying like this but this is not something that everyone can do really well this is a talent he has the man has received six primetime emmy awards with 36 nominations he will come back he will do another killer it is clear from the numbers of this series that netflix is going to want to see this again so i mean i think he's like he's one of the more successful showrunners and creators in hollywood right now he'll get more gigs just because people watch his shit Mm -hmm. so 
Yeah, I couldn't begin to tell you who he's going to do next. I mean, part of me actually wonders if you would do a John Wayne Gacy series. Eh, who knows? I I don't know. Um, there's, there's a lot of stories out there. I'll tell you that much. There are. You said it yourself. Mayor, uh, our history is it's not pretty. Rife. <laughs> Rife with stories that need to be told. Many of them ugly. Many, many ugly stories. So, yeah, when that comes back, we'll probably discuss it again and we'll be like, oh, here we are again. <laughs> Let's talk about the controversy again. All right. So that wraps that up about our discussion of Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. So uh, is, unless there's anything else that you that we forgot to talk about, you're shaking your head. So I'm guessing that means no. So let's go ahead and move on to plugs. Uh, All right. So, fine. so because I'm going to Stevie Nicks tonight, um, our usual damn you Hollywood that we would have done on Tuesdays we did last night. We reviewed the new Black Adam movie that's in the archives now. Go ahead and check that out. Uh, tomorrow, the Superblog team up goes straight to hell, right to hell, Alexis Anna. And our contribution to Superblog team up goes to hell is a commentary track that Pat Mullen and I did for uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown or Frogtown Goes to Hell, one of the two, starring, <laughs> starring Rowdy Roddy Piper. It's a fun one. We had a good time doing it. We recorded it a few weeks ago. The audio will be up tomorrow. The video has been up for a while, but it'll be uh, promoted with all the other Superblog team up stuff on Twitter and Facebook. In addition to which, you'll be reviewing Midnight Club. Yes, this was Robert supposed Pinkley. to happen uh, last week. Mm -hmm. uh, if if you actually tuned in and were wondering where the hell it was, I'm sorry. Um, uh, one of our reviewers dropped out due to losing his voice. Uh, I actually need to check back with him, see if he's feeling any better. And I uh, was a little cramped on time, so we just sort of sat around and agreed, let's push this back a week so... You know, we're all on better footing for this. So I apologize if you are, if you did sit back and wonder where the hell is that review of Midnight Club that was promised. <laughs> we will be reviewing it tomorrow night. So that's uh, oh, also the Superblog team up uh, submission for source material is Batman Punisher Lake of Fire. That'll be an audio format tomorrow. Um, Friday, I'll be back doing another TV party. Um, my old boss, Wags. She, years ago, um, when I was really into reading Michael Pollan books, there was a documentary series based on one of his books called Cooked, and I brought her on for that. She contacted me last week, and she was like, hey, have you seen Michael Pollan's got a new Netflix four-part documentary series about psychedelics and mental health? And I was like, no, but that sounds interesting. She's like, we should talk about it. I'm like, we totally should. So <laughs> uh, we're going to do that, unless he bails on me. Uh, we're going to do that Friday at noon, right before I go to Halloween Horror Nights. So... Uh, there's that. Um, Saturday, we've got the very last of the Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, Treehouse of Horror. Uh, that was the finale of the Everyone Loves a Bad Guy series. That'll be the 29th. Um, we'll have a re-airing of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. There'll be an unspoken issue for Resident Evil comics. And then on Halloween itself, an Everyone Loves a Bad Guy Halloween special that was done years and years ago with Robert Winfrey and Sean Comer. And then we'll be back a week from tonight, in our usual Tuesday spot for DMU Hollywood, we'll be reviewing Pray for the Devil. Um, I saw Clerks 3 this past weekend. Uh, cried a lot. It was a real tearjerker at times. 
And uh, because of that, Ronnie contacted me, Ronnie Adams of the Screaming Boy podcast. And he said, hey, can we discuss all the Clarks movies since Clarks 3 just came out? And I said, yes, yes, we can. So much like we did with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie that came out earlier this year, we're going to do all three at the same time. The new one, the old one, and the one nobody nobody likes. <laughs> the Clark, Long Road to Ruin, Clarks. That'll be Wednesday. Thursday night, um, it's the anniversary of the movie They Live. Yes, yet again, starring Roddy Piper. I'm going to have Pat Mullen to do an on trial for that. And then uh, that's it. So that takes us all the way through November 3rd. That's all my stuff. You can, um, all my socials are in the link to this podcast. You can check me out on uh, the Rattles and Broadcasting Facebook, Twitter. Um, clips of these shows are posted on TikTok along with the other chicanery I get into, pictures of my family, whatever. And then finally, ladies, I'm on Snapchat wearing this shirt or not, depending on how you like it. Speaking of how you like it, Alexis Haina. All right. Well, yeah, it looks like uh, I am off next week, but I will be back on November 7th. I will be leading a discussion about House of the Dragon. Season just wrapped up, so we're looking forward to talking about that. And whether or not the first season actually does uh, redeem the disaster that was the final season of Game of Thrones. Uh, other than... You know, selling my soul for Mark Rattledge, Honeysuckle Rose Creations, where fashion meets fandom at the intersection of geek and chic. We just wrapped up our last convention of 2022. That was at Anime Nebraska in Omaha. Wonderful show. We had so much fun. Uh, thanks to everyone who came out to that. I really hope to be there next year. In the meantime, it is, we got to get ready. Holidays are upon us, folks. Uh, we will be doing our big Black Friday sale. Uh, everything in both of our Etsy and handmade at Amazon shops will be 20% off and we will be doing our charity drive for those who purchase anything from either shop for, from um, Black Friday to Christmas Eve for every orders that is placed, we will donate $5 to the St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Uh, we're going to be adding some more stuff online here within the next few weeks. I want to make sure that both stores are fully stocked and ready to go. I want to make sure that you've got access to anything you could possibly want for the holidays again you can find us on facebook instagram and uh twitter and again our shops are open on etsy and handmade at amazon that is honeysuckle rose creations the intersection of geek and chic and with that on behalf of mark rattelich uh be well be safe behave <laughs>